I want to pray in a moment before we do. We are currently in a sermon series called We Believe. We generally like to preach through books of the Bible, but every now and then we will cover a topic. And so our topic right now, and when we do topics, they're generally theological topics. Our topic right now is actually what we believe as a church. So if you did not get one of these uh, a couple, about a month ago when we started, these little trifold pamphlets called What We Believe. This is our doctrinal statement. This is what we as a church believe. If you took the Bible and condensed it down to the parts that we believe are critical and crucial, um, that little handout describes that. So like when you open that up, you will not find, you know, this Bible translation is the necessary translation. We don't, we don't have a statement on that or anything like that, although I have my own personal preference. But we don't you know, have a statement on that. But we do have specific statements about, for instance, the Bible as authoritative or the Trinity. Like we, have a, we believe some specific stuff about Jesus. And today we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. We believe uh, in divine healing. And there's about 11 statements in that, in that little pamphlet. And we're going we're gonna to do 11 of them in nine weeks. Okay? So... Today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to dip our toe in the water today. We're not going to cover everything that could be said about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to get the foundational stuff. In a few weeks, we will talk about believing in Jesus, our sanctifier, and we will talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit and the personal experience of that. But that's in about three weeks, so you can gear up for that. Um, before we get into... The actual passages, which is John 14 through 16, if you want to find that in your Bibles, I would like to pray for us. Jesus, we trust that you're going to lead us, that you're going to teach us, that you've provided scripture for our building up to instruct us um, and to show us how to live, to establish a foundation and a standard for what to believe and how to behave. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would apply this to us today. Give us understanding, Jesus. I ask that in your name. Amen. Okay. I met, a, I met another pastor yesterday who, um, he said, uh, when I gave my life to the Lord eight years ago, I was like, dang, I'm getting old. This guy got saved in like 2011. I was like, I mean, like, Scott may have been going to this church longer than this guy's even been saved. Same with some of you other, you know, families. Like, eight years? There are adults that have been saved for eight years? Because I've, you know, I've been following Jesus about 25 years, but that's because I'm getting older, and the years keep uh, stacking up. And I was just like, eight years. So that caused me to think about, like, his journey with Jesus, but also my journey with Jesus. And uh, if your journey with Jesus has been anything like mine, have there ever been days where you felt like you could not keep up with Jesus? Okay, you're, you feel more strongly about that than the 9 a.m. service did, okay? I think they all feel like they keep up with Jesus. Uh, but Okay, I just, there are days where I'm like, Jesus is outrunning me by a lot. And uh, so, like, I, I read the Gospels, and I'm like, Jesus, you... You're multiplying food and walking on water and healing lepers. I can't even get the kids on the bus every day. You know, like that, that's, forget about walking on water. I'm struggling to get pants on to get to the bus stop in the morning. So I probably shouldn't use that illustration. But 
you know, like there are days where I just feel like I cannot keep up with Jesus. And, and spiritually, I feel like I'm like this. <sighs> just like, and then I read the book of Acts and the way the church functioned in the book of Acts. And I'm like, man, we're, we, can, we are struggling to keep up with the biblical precedent for what a church should look like and how a church should conduct itself. And I'm just bent over like, <sighs> just wishing that I could spiritually catch my breath. Uh, there are days, if I read through the Bible, you know, like I, 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 I have these ideas, oh yeah, I'm gonna, it's my day off, I'm gonna sit down, like I'm gonna read the whole book of Matthew, 28 chapters. Two chapters in, the kids are trying to climb on me. Kendra's trying to climb on me. Uh, my, I get a text message on my phone. So, you know, something happens. <laughs> and, I, and then, so by the next morning, when I should have been done with Matthew, the next morning I'm like, I'm like the whole, I feel like I should be reading John today. And I just can't keep up. So if you've ever felt like You've lost your breath following Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the solution to that. We often think of the whole, we, we think of the filling of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit in terms of water often. I know I do. Um, and I've even done this here. I've had like a, a pitcher of water here and I'll pour water into it to illustrate the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I always say it's not full until it's overflowing. If it's not overflowing, you can fit a little more. You know it's full when it's overflowing. And I, that's a, I will probably use that illustration again, so I'm not saying it's wrong. But the more accurate biblical pictures of the Holy Spirit are wind and fire. And the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There was a wind that filled the room, and the Holy Spirit came, in the, or, or tongues descended on the the apostles, the uh, tongues of fire descended on the apostles. So I would like today for us to think about the Holy Spirit, not in terms of water, but in terms of wind or breath. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Say, say everybody say ruach. Is your throat clear now? Okay. In the New Testament, the word for spirit is pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. It means breath or wind. In fact, ruach and pneuma both mean breath or wind. Pneumonia, that's where we get pneumonia from. It's a, in your lungs. A pneumatic uh, tube or pneumatic uh, pump is a pump with air in it. So air or breath, those are the images of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I want you to think about it this way. If you have had a moment in your life following Jesus, and you just can't keep up, and you're out of breath, this is what he provides to you. Breath. Following Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, is like following Jesus, but you've caught your breath. You're not out of breath. You have breath. Another way to look at it, if we think of wind, is if you're, if you're following Jesus, has ever felt like you are rowing a boat, and you have to work hard and sometimes it feels like you're rowing the boat against the current, even. You know, like maybe in your family, like you're the only person following Jesus, and the family's going that way, but you're like trying to... And eventually you get tired, and you're just like, I need a break. And so you let go, and you just go with the flow. And You ever had like a week or two where you haven't opened the Bible? 
You haven't really prayed, haven't really worshipped. You just kind of like haven't given God much thought. Okay, your walk with Jesus is not supposed to be like a rowboat. It's supposed to be like a sailboat. You put up the sail and it's filled with wind. So putting up the sail still means you have responsibility. You have to do something. Yeah, you have to make some effort. But you can't take credit for that. Look at look how I filled that sail up. You did not fill the sail up. You did not earn this. It's, a, it's grace. But there is some effort involved. There is some responsibility that you have to take for your own spiritual growth. You put the sail up. And for a sailboat to move, all they got to do is reposition the sail to catch the wind. That is a picture of what it means to live in the Spirit or discern the activity of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? Which position should I have the sail in? You going this way? Let me change the sail. Are you going that way? Let me change the sail. So when we think about the Holy Spirit, we want to think in terms of wind or breath. But uh, today we're going to look at this discourse or long sermon that Jesus gave in John, starting in chapter 14. It goes all the way to chapter 17. If you have a Bible, like a paper, hard Bible, Open that up. If you have a Bible on a phone or a tablet, go ahead and pull that up as well. If you have a red-letter Bible, meaning the words of Jesus are in red, you go to chapter 14 and you see, wow, it's pretty red. I mean, most of chapter 14, all of chapter 15, most of chapter 16, most of chapter 17 is red ink, which means this is Jesus talking for a very long time. And here's the context of this long teaching that Jesus gave. Uh, according to the timeline in the Gospel of John, he gives this teaching in between the Last Supper and when he's arrested. So we're talking about like this is the end of Jesus' life. This is right before he's about to be crucified. It's the, end, the last week, the last couple days. He is telling the disciples, where I'm going you cannot go. I am not going to be with you forever. Now, I don't think they know what he's setting them up for. But he's about to be crucified. And you know that after he's crucified, he was buried for three days, but then eventually resurrected. And then he moved around the earth in a glorified body for 40 days before he was eventually ascended into heaven. So there's really only 45 days of Jesus' body on earth before he teaches this stuff. So he's prepping them for a transition that's about to take place in their lives where Jesus is not going to be there flesh and blood right in front of them anymore. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you about the Holy Spirit because I'm going to leave, but he's going to come. And you're going to need to be familiar with the Holy Spirit. I'm not leaving you alone. He says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, but you need to know about the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, there are a couple verses we're going to look at, as well as John 15 and John 16. We're not looking at all four chapters. In total, we're going to look at about 15 verses today, just what he taught about the Holy Spirit. Okay, I mean, there's a lot in this sermon. He talks about persecution. He talks about abiding in Jesus. This is where the true vine passage comes from, John 15. He talks about how the disciples should get along with one another. I mean, he talks about how he revealed the Father. There's a lot of stuff in here. We are just going to look at the 15 or so verses that, uh, where he teaches about the Holy Spirit, okay? So we're going to start in John 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So I'll just stop right there. We have the Trinity engaged in this one verse. Jesus speaks to the Father about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the helper may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and I will be in, sorry, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, there's Trinity again, all three, that is the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And one more. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said uh, that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So let me back up to the first slide here and start from there. Okay. Here's what we want to address today. Two questions. First, who is the Holy Spirit? And secondly, what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Now, you might have gotten a little handout on your way in. Uh, it's a little narrow, tall thing that looks like this. Okay, I don't mean to sabotage myself, but all the sermon notes are right on here. Like, you could predict where I'm going with this, okay? So uh, don't zone out. Act surprised when we get to certain things. So, first question we want to address, just two questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? The very question, who is the Holy Spirit, implies that we are talking about a person not a thing. And this is, this is foundational for understanding the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, not a thing. When we think of personhood, you know, 2019, United States, when we think of, I think actually everyone thinks of it this way. Personhood, the first thing you think of is the body, essentially. You picture the person. So if I said... Shay Akanaso, you would picture his face, you would picture his sharp clothing today, uh, you know, you might even think of his voice, you, you would think of Shay in his physical appearance, most likely. This is not the way personhood was viewed in the Bible. Uh, personhood was that a person has a spirit, a person is a spirit with a soul in a body. We usually prioritize the physical or the body. We might not even give any consideration to the fact that the people we interact with have a spirit and a soul. But in the Bible, it was spirit first. And, you know, if you don't know this already, your spirit is going to outlast your body. Right? 
I mean, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, your body's going to die, but your spirit's going to live forever with Jesus. And you're going to be resurrected, and you're going to have a glorified body, and your glorified body is going to be even better than your current body. I know that that's hard for some people to believe when you've got this going on, but your glorified body is going to be excellent. And, and when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, it's, it, you can almost watch Paul's mind get blown. Like he, he struggles to even find illustrations. He says, your material body you have right now is like a seed compared to your glorified body. It's, it's like how an acorn is compared to an oak tree. Like your body right now is just a little acorn. It's going to be an oak tree. Um, he talks about how there's different, there's different celestial lights. You know, the, the sun gives off one kind of light, the moon gives off another kind of light, and it's, just, it's different. He talks about how there's different kind of flesh. You know, like uh, human flesh is different from the flesh of fish, which is different from the flesh of animals. There's different kinds of flesh. Uh, and your body is going to have a whole different type of flesh. It's going to be like a, like a mature seed. The glory on your body is going to, it's, it's the glorified body, so it's going to be greater. And so you as a person are actually primarily a spirit. You have a soul, you're in a body, but you're a spirit. So when we say that the Holy Spirit is a person, we're not talking about he has hair, he has a complexion, he has two arms and two... You know, please don't think of the Holy Spirit in terms of a body, okay? You might say, well, how come I never see the Holy Spirit on the bus? Well, everyone knows the Holy Spirit is not on the bus. Just kidding, bus riders, okay? Um, he's not on the bus I'm ever on, as he feels like. So, uh, don't think in terms... When we say person, please don't think in terms of material. Think in terms of he is a life-giving spirit... And if the Holy Spirit has a body, it's yours. Right? So, uh, the biblical view of personhood is a spirit with a soul in a body. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. So the Holy Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars. For those of you that have seen Star Wars, and it, there's kind of like, you can manipulate the force, right? If you have enough, I can't believe I know this, midi-chlorians in your blood... Like Anakin? Okay. I swear, I've only watched this movie one time. I just remembered way too much. You can control the force. You can use the force. The force is with you or the force is not with you, right? The force in Star Wars is this, it's not a, it's not a him, it's an it. And you can manipulate it and you can control it. That is not what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a him. Personal pronouns. I mean, we... Uh, look, look at how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 17, because uh, the world does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So we are not talking about an it. We're talking about a he or a him, okay? Um, it's not an impersonal force. You cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. He's not magic, you can't pray a prayer that sounds like abracadabra and get him to do your will. This is where, honestly, some of the extreme, like charismatic and Pentecostal churches go a little bit off. 
They seem to think that the Holy Spirit is something that they can manipulate or control. That is not how the Holy Spirit works. In fact, no member of the Godhead lets you manipulate or control them. So, uh, he's, a, he's a person, not an it. Personal pronouns used throughout the New Testament to refer to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has emotions. Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is pleased. The Holy Spirit experiences joy and provokes joy. Now, the Holy Spirit has emotions, but the Holy Spirit is not an emotion. Okay? Sometimes we have wrong thoughts about God, and we'll say, oh, I like to think of the Holy Spirit as the goosebumps I get. Okay. The goosebumps are not the same thing as the Holy Spirit. You can get goosebumps from a lot of stuff. Now, I have experienced the goosebumps a few times from the Holy Spirit, but that's the result of the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit himself. Does that make sense? So, let me see if I can say this correctly. The Holy Spirit is not an emotion, but the Holy Spirit has emotions. And if that spirit is in you, you better bet he's going to provoke emotion out of you. If you're in alignment with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be grieved when he's grieved. You're going to be pleased when he's pleased. So, while he is not an emotion, that does not mean we become dead, dull, you know, like emotionless robots. The Holy Spirit provokes emotion. He will use emotion. Um, he will move you to tears. He will give you great joy. That's some of the stuff that he does, okay? But please also know where to draw the line that just because you feel something, that doesn't mean it is the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, all right, the Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit has a will, meaning he makes decisions. So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and testifies. Those are all things that he has to decide, how will I intercede? What will I testify? He makes choices. The Holy Spirit makes decisions. Just like a person, right? So he has feelings. He has thoughts that make decisions. The Holy Spirit has an intellect, meaning thoughts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, Romans 8, both say that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. He has knowledge. He has thoughts. So you, you start stacking all this stuff up, personal pronoun, pronouns, uh, feelings, will, intellect. You start to realize the Holy Spirit is not a thing, it's a person. Not only is the Holy Spirit a person, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God the same way that Jesus is God, the same way that the Father is God. If you don't believe in the divine nature of the Holy Spirit, you've gotten rid of the Trinity. You have to believe that the Holy Spirit is God the way the Father is God and Jesus is God. We read in uh, John 15, 26. I went backwards. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So where's the Holy Spirit coming from? The Father. That is the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father. That word proceeds essentially means like he flows from the Father like a river. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not an aspect of God. He is not a side of God. He is God. He is a person of the Godhead, the, the Trinitarian Godhead. Um, 
equal to Jesus, equal to the Father, but he proceeds from the Father and is sent by Jesus. So it's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit. It's okay to worship the Holy Spirit because he's God. He's a divine person. Now, in addition to the divine person, a couple terms that are used over and over in John 14, 15, and 16. He is the spirit of truth. John 16, actually, I think spirit of truth is used three or four times just in these passages. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I will ask the Father, he will give you the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit, in addition to being a divine person, is the spirit of truth. Let me tell you how the spirit of truth works. The spirit of truth works primarily through scripture. You don't know what to think about a situation. You're confused about something spiritual. You're, you don't know what's going on. Here's what you do. <laughs> Get your Bible and start reading until the Holy Spirit reveals truth. If you try to seek truth without scripture, you are very prone to get led astray. If you say, I'm just going to sit in silence until the Holy Spirit tells me truth, and you don't use scripture, I mean, you might, if you've, if you've memorized scripture and it lives in you, you might hear from the Lord, but this is also how cults and false religions get started, where there's some sort of revelation that comes, they don't check it with scripture, and they run off, and that's how other things get started. So the spirit of truth uses the written truth, the Bible. He illuminates it. He draws you to certain things. He shows you principles and concepts, reminds you of verses. Uh, that's what the spirit of truth does. Holy Spirit is also referred to as our helper several times. Another, some translations say advocate. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. If you, need, if you have ever felt like you need help following Jesus, do you know what you have? A helper. The Holy Spirit. Have any of you ever felt like you needed help following Jesus? Are you good? Okay. I need help. Okay. My wife is smiling inappropriately big in the back right now. Yeah, he needs help. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Can I just encourage you? When you feel like you need help following Jesus, please don't ignore the Holy Spirit and go call your friend or find a book. I mean, you can call your friend and find a book, but only after you've asked the Holy Spirit for help. Does that make sense? You don't need a Holy Spirit substitute in your life. That is too much pressure on them and not enough help for you. So read the books, call the friends. Do the classes, but please don't uh, skip over the engaging the Holy Spirit in the process. He is our helper. Uh, he's the one that empowers us to live like Christ. Okay, so that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Really quickly, I want to go over what does the Holy Spirit do? What is his ministry on the earth? So, first thing that the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit fills Christians. That's right. Oh, yeah, your name is Christian. Yeah, okay. He feels Christian. Okay. Um, verse 17. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is lives in Christians. Now, this is a, like a, 
I don't know what to call it other than it is an evolutionary idea in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't really dwell or abide in a person. The Holy Spirit came on a person for a moment and for a task, empowered them temporarily, and then withdrew. So it was a temporary thing. That carries all through the Old Testament, actually into the Gospels. The first person to be to receive the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit remain was Jesus at his baptism. The dove came on him, and there's this little part in the verse that gets overlooked. It says, the dove settled on him and remained on him. This is the first time in Scripture the Holy Spirit remained on a person. They're, they would have expected that Spirit, the Holy Spirit to leave, fly off like doves do. Um, but the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus, and this signifies a greater accessibility and proximity to the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. In John 20, Jesus, this is uh, right before he's about to ascend, Jesus breathes on the disciples, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, this is the tipping point, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to dwell in Christians. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit seals is a seal on, on Christians. When you, know, when you believe, you were sealed in the Holy Spirit. In case you skipped Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4 says the same thing. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter, I think it's chapter 8, says if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. Okay, so there's no, it's in there, how many times does the Bible have to say something for it to be true? Once. Once. <laughs> One time, right? It says it a handful of times. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. So if you weren't sure, okay? But here's the thing. To the church in Ephesus, Paul said in chapter 1, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Then he says in chapter 4, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then he says in chapter 5, now be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which, if I could just summarize without chopping up a bunch of theology, that's essentially Paul's way of saying, there's more. Whatever you've experienced, there's more. You will never exhaust and fully explore the Holy Spirit. There's always more. He's God. You're not going to get to the end and be like, I got it now. There's always more to the Holy Spirit. There's always more in your life that you can surrender to him. There's always more that he can do in your life. So, listen, the minute you trusted Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. But please don't settle for that. Don't ever grow tired of pursuing more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. I mean, I can think of four specific instances in my life where I came to a spiritual crisis and... I was just desperate and hungry, and I was like, Lord, I need more. In fact, I was very transparent about one of those. About in the last 12 months, I told you I am pursuing more of the Holy Spirit. And uh, every, I don't know, I'm just telling you my own personal experience right now. Every single one of them feels like either an upgrade or like an expansion of my capacity to follow Jesus uh, and to minister. So you don't, please don't stop pursuing the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't stop pursuing Jesus, I hope. 
You wouldn't stop pursuing the, the Father, I hope. So don't stop pursuing the Holy Spirit. All right, the Holy Spirit fills Christians. 1426, the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds. Um, one of the things that you can do to make this happen more frequently, the teaching and the reminding, is expose yourself to Scripture. Even memorize some Scripture. Our kids in Children's Church are memorizing a portion of First Corinthians, uh, Colossians right now, Colossians chapter 1. Listen, the more Scripture you get familiar with, the more you memorize, the more he can remind you of. Right? And then you find yourself in situations where you feel like you're in a crunch and all of a sudden he reminds you of something that you memorized six years ago. He brings those things to mind. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> also testifies about Jesus. Uh, 1526. He will testify about me, referring to Jesus. And uh, I think he, okay, verse 14, he will glorify me. Okay, I think this is probably just one of my own personal preferences, but one of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit is he, he is always pointing people to Jesus. That's, in my mind, like his main job. Point people to Jesus, shed light on Jesus, direct people to Jesus, testify about Jesus, glorify Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit, I picture him as like he's the spotlight operator. He points it right at Jesus to shed light on Jesus, right? Now, if there's no spotlight operator, who knows where that spotlight, it could be on numbers, it could be on money, it could be on this, it could be on that. But the Holy Spirit makes sure that the spotlight is always directly on Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit doesn't even point the spotlight on himself. There's a subtle misconception that the more a church talks about the Holy Spirit, they must be more filled with the Holy Spirit. And that might be true, but it might not. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to testify of Jesus. Glorify Jesus. So... You want to see a church that is guided by and filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, how much do they talk about Jesus? Not how much do they talk about spiritual gifts and spiritual warfare, but how, much, how centered are they on Jesus? Are they radically Christ-centered in everything they do, in their preaching, in their worship, in their theology, in their leadership development? Are they centered on Jesus? That's evidence of a Spirit-filled church. The Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus and glorify Jesus and testify about Jesus. All right, so those last three things are things that the Holy Spirit does for the church. I want to look at some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the world. Um, he convicts. I know some of you, you like to talk about convicting. 16.8. Uh, I keep going the wrong direction. Okay. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, uh, be, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts, or another word would be convinces, of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the way I see this playing out is, any behavior attitude, even person, is either in sin or in righteousness. 
And there's no way for us to even know the difference between sin and righteousness without the Holy Spirit illuminating that to us. When I was in sin, I didn't know I was in sin until the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. Does that make sense? So there's sin, there's sinful behavior, there's sinful attitudes, there's sinful people, but there's also righteousness. And I didn't even know real righteousness. The only righteousness I knew was self-righteousness. So until the Holy Spirit said, this is sin and showed me that, and this is righteousness and showed me that, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. What I couldn't do was make a judgment, which is the third thing the Holy Spirit does. He shows you what's sin, he shows you what's righteous, and he helps you judge between those two things. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He helps us know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. He empowers that. Uh, I'll tell a really quick story about something that the Holy Spirit used uh, here about a week and a half ago. Uh, I was driving to staff meeting on a Wednesday night. This was a week and a half ago. I was coming down Devereaux Street looking for a parking spot, and there wasn't one, because there never is. And when I got down in front of the church, the neighbors around had their cell phones out, and they were laughing and pointing and recording on their cell phones. And I was like, I want to see, what's that, is Scott out here in his short shorts, or what's, what are we laughing at here? And uh, I could not tell what they were looking at. I circled around, I found my parking spot, and I started walking up to the church. As I got closer, I saw what everyone was staring, pointing, laughing at, and recording. There was a young woman who was having a drug-induced fit right in the front yard of the church, essentially. And she, this was not heroin. She wasn't nodding off. This was meth, and she was just erratic and loud and um, wild. And all the neighbors were recording it, giggling, pointing. <laughs> and uh, as I was coming up, Getting closer and closer, you know, I'm not, I'm never ready to deal with those situations. As I was getting closer, Kara, one of our staff members, Kara Gordon, she comes over, she had already been uh, helping this woman. Kara gets down, gives the woman a chair, gets down on her knees so she's eye level with this woman and is calming her down. And calming down a person who has meth in their system is almost impossible. Kara somehow cut through all of that. This woman calmed down. Kara called her mother, the woman's mother, her sponsor, Project Home, and a few other places and started resolving this. I just stood there as security, essentially, to make sure it didn't get out of hand. So here's what happened as a result of that. As Kara is humbling herself, she's on her knees, making eye contact, hugging this young lady. This is what the neighbors do. They start putting their phones away. They're not laughing anymore. They're not pointing anymore. They actually sat on their porch to watch how this was gonna go. And you could almost see the conviction on their faces. Yeah. 
But here's the thing. No one had to say a word to him. The Holy Spirit convicted him. She did not have to say, what are all you doing? She didn't have a bullhorn. She didn't have a, a poster. What they saw was a person behaving like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit began to confront their attitudes. They were, they were in the same gesture. She was bringing comfort to this woman and conviction to everyone else. And... I mean, once I had a little bit of time afterwards to think through this, I thought, that has to be how Jesus did it sometimes. I mean, sometimes Jesus did just use his words and he got in people's faces. But you know what, time, what Jesus did other times, like with the woman that was caught in adultery? He didn't say a word. He just started writing in the dirt. And I don't know what he wrote. I don't know if he was doing Sudoku or what he did in the dirt. But people started dropping their stones and walked away. He showed that woman mercy. People are still convicted about that story 2,000 years later. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The reason I share that is because sometimes we think it's our job. Scream at someone, put your finger in their face, quote a bunch of Bible verses that you don't apply to your own life, but you want to apply to their life. Listen, in, sometimes you do need to get in someone's face, sometimes you do need to quote some scripture, but if you're doing it without the Holy Spirit... You're just driving like a religious guilt into people. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. And I love that the whole atmosphere of the intersection changed when she showed mercy, not judgment. So, uh, be nice to people is the conclusion of that story. Final thing that the Holy Spirit does is guide the church, and he discloses what is to come. That's from John 16. 13. So if we take all of this and summarize it, we believe that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, okay? That the Holy Spirit fills, teaches, testifies, convicts, and guides. If we take all that and summarize it, I think I'm going backwards again. Nope, that was the right way. This is how we summarize it. The Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to indwell, guide, teach, empower the believer and convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. This is the, this is the foundation for what we believe uh, about the Holy Spirit. Not only does our church believe this, we are part of a family of ministries called the Christian Missionary Alliance. 2,000 churches in the United States, 22,000 churches, and 6 million people worldwide that believe this statement. This is our summary. Okay, it's not everything, but it's where we begin about what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just close with a few things really quickly. I want to encourage you to move from openness to the Holy Spirit to hunger for the Holy Spirit. Um, it is common for people to say, I'm open to the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not shut off to the Holy Spirit. I'm curious about the Holy Spirit. Openness is not enough, guys. If you said you're open to Jesus, I'd be like, oh, maybe they'll, come to, maybe they'll get saved. As Christians, we're not open to Jesus. We desire Jesus. We pursue Jesus. We should have the same attitude about the Holy Spirit that we have of Jesus. We need him. He's not optional. You know, he's, he's not like the supersized Christianity. It's basic Christianity. You need the Holy Spirit. 
not if you just want to like up it a level. You can't even do foundational early baby steps without the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage you to pursue the Holy Spirit in hunger, develop a hunger for the Holy Spirit. When that hunger comes, please don't shut it down. You know? I think ultimately the Holy Spirit wants you to follow Jesus but not run out of breath. So he's offering, here's some more breath. Here's the breath you need. You're tired of rowing? Then put up a sail, be filled, and you can roll with the Holy Spirit and follow Jesus and live like Jesus, release Jesus through your life. Kevin and Rachel are going to come and uh, close us in worship. Would you mind standing with us? I want to pray for us, and then they're going to lead us in a closing song. In about three weeks, I'm going to preach on the filling of the Holy Spirit. I would like to ask you to begin to prepare yourself for that. Uh, and to begin to develop in yourself hunger for God and a desperation for the Holy Spirit. The best way to do that I know of is read the book of Acts. <clears throat> Jesus, we declare our desperate need of you and that you've provided the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, we have a desperate need of you. There's no way that we can effectively follow Christ without you, Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you don't need our permission, but we willingly surrender and submit ourselves to you. Convict us of sin. Confront the areas in our lives that have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Empower us for ministry. Remind us and bring to our memory scripture. Fill us and empower us. Guide the church. All of the things that were promised in John, we want, Jesus. I want to ask a few of you to just pray very uh, brief but heartfelt prayers of desperation and hunger for the Holy Spirit. Just kind of a I need you type thing before we sing. So Jesus, you said it would be better for us if you ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. We are trusting that you knew what you were talking about when you said that. And Lord, our posture toward your Holy Spirit is uh, anticipation and desire. I ask Jesus over the next few weeks, prepare us and go deep with the hunger, God. Just make it an insatiable hunger that can only be satisfied in you. I pray for your protection. Uh, if we are kind of raw right now, Lord, as we go out, that you would protect us as we go. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.